Hey, Cast Chasers, it's Katie, coming back to you for the first episode of our three-part series on wood and the art of the barrel. In this episode, the guys and I will be tasting a great Welsh whiskey that really showcases what a difference barrel selection can make. So, pour a dram and settle in, because this is the Cast Chasers Podcast. Hey, Bobby. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I don't think people ask you enough how you're doing. Well, I appreciate that you took the time to. So I wanted to. I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, I'm doing good. fine. We're about to drink whiskey and talk about whiskey. Yeah. I yeah. get to sit by Aaron. I don't know what else I could be losing. Aaron, I'm what missing. could you be losing? I don't know. My mind, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. No, but I'm doing well also. Thank you. That's good. That's good. So guys, I got a question for you. Uh-oh. In our last episode... We got acquainted with La Santa and Quinto Ruben, right? We talked about some sherry and some port finishes. We did. Yeah, yeah. We really did. And what was our favorite from that? What did we say? Our Overall, I think all three of us said Quinto Ruben, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. They're both good. I don't want to... I hate taking away from one or the other because I don't... Neither of them are bad. They're both very good. I just... I think that one was the better one. I also think you should go out and buy the other one and then also the other one. That's what I want you both, to take. That was others. really clear. I yeah. want them to understand what I'm thinking. We're just fans of Glenn Morandi in general. You shouldn't be allowed to talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here's the, real, here's the real crux of it, though, right? So if we focused on Sherry and Port in the last episode, and this is our first uh, series talking about wood is such an important part of whiskey, what did we take away from that last episode on the Sherry and Port finish that we want to see in this one? Like, What do we want our listeners to understand from it? So when you're looking, I don't know, in my opinion, when I'm looking for a bottle, I'm looking for color. Um, I'm looking for something that I'm familiar with. You know, maybe it's sherry, maybe it's port. I mean, if you're a rich, deep red wine fan, probably port, Mm -hmm. right? If you've had sherry before, you like, you know, the sharp kind of sweet notes, maybe maybe you go with the sherry. But that barrel plays so much into that that whiskey and flavor of that whiskey and then age and time and things like that and the color of the whiskey that I think you should appreciate why the whiskey tastes the way it does and why it looks the way it does based on the selected barrel that they picked. Here the thought. effort. Let's thank the Coopers is what I'm saying. And the distiller who, you know, hired the Cooper. Need like a Hallmark card. Like yeah. Thank you, Cooper Day. It's the first. The it's, for it's the first card the Cooper gets. He's like nobody's ever gotten me anything. Get, gets a thank. Thank the Cooper Day. Love card. the Coopers. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, Aaron, um, Mister Mister Port fan? <laughs> I've been called. Wor- I didn't know it was coming, but I've been called worse. So those were specifically about the finish. Wood plays such an important role. Whether that's what it's initially aged in, whether it's what it's finished in. Um, from, for every type of whiskey, whether that's, you know, a, a, a bourbon that's in new oak or something that's being aged in a used barrel and then finished in something else. There's just so much that comes into the whiskey from the wood that it's, it'd be stupid not to talk about it. It's like tea. It's how much you can extract from a tea bag to get the flavor. And then it's taking that used tea bag, which no one would do, and trying to pull more flavor out of it. In the world of whiskey, that's very doable. It adds mellow, subtle notes. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, unlike a bourbon that's using a new oak, which we'll get to, and you get the deep, rich molasses, vanilla, and all of that with scotch whiskeys and other whiskeys that use used barrels, it's very subtle. They're hinted, and I think that's nice, but you still get the the scotch Mm -hmm. barley that you're looking for, you know, if it's a Japanese whiskey or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I I guess that brings me to one of my first questions, because I hear phrases thrown around like first fill and refill. And when I, when I'm trying to put that in the context of a barrel, can you walk me through what that means for a whiskey finish and distilling process? First fill is, it can be kind of confusing because it's not actually the first time the barrel was filled. It is the first time since the original liquid in the barrel was filled. Most scotch is aged in a used bourbon barrel, most of it. When they say first fill bourbon barrels, it means it was used as bourbon, and this is the first time it's being filled since it had that original liquid in it. So what is appealing about a first fill and why they emphasize that on a lot of, uh, a lot of times it's on the label, is because you're actually getting the most flavor the most notes from not only the wood but also the liquid that was in that wood initially does the amount of time between the first fill and then when that new liquid is inserted into the barrel does that make a difference based off what it was finished with the reason they're using the language first fill second Mm -hmm. fill third fill is to tell them how much they've drained from that flavor exactly Mm, so those that terminology is really for the secondary distiller so it's been a bourbon it's now the bourbon barrel has been sold it's gone. So it's a used bourbon barrel. They'll get it in their warehouse in, let's say, Scotland. And he may say, the distiller may say, okay, this is first fill. So they know a first fill, there's more flavor, maybe not as long. Maybe I'll throw 12 years in there, depending. There's a process. You get to the second and third fill. After the third fill, I don't know that people are going into fourth, fifth, sixth, because you've really drained. The tea bag is done. You've really taken a lot that you could you know, you know, could from it. Yeah, not only are you taking out the flavors from the liquid, the bourbon or whatever been washed away at this point, you, there's not a whole heck of a lot the of tannins to, to draw gone. from anymore. The, yeah, the, it's, the color is gone. You know, there's not that those nuanced notes that you're looking. You've really, I guess it's like making oil. You know, you can keep replacing it and replacing it and replacing it and right. using it again like fry oil over time you've got to just be done with it right now there are distillers out there that are doing cool stuff with these third you know they get into the fourth fill they're just doing they're recuperating mm-hmm. them they're recharring hey, them you recoup like you shave right. it down you rechar all kinds of stuff like that yeah and charring is different from toasting right it, it's toasting is just a light char and then you get up into all the way up into what they call like an alligator char where it's really like a torched piece of wood 1800s they start seeing literature of people charring barrels, and typically it's wine or cognac barrels. And they're saying, this is how we get a lot. We get a lot of flavor from this. It really seals the barrel. It really pulls out a lot of the flavor we're looking for and adds a lot of color. So back in the day when we're transporting whiskey, we're doing it in jugs, we're doing it in metal pots. And we think, well, we've got these used stolen wine and cognac barrels. Why can't we just use those? And they happen to be charred and they happen to make our whiskey taste amazing. Well, there's a lot more to that in depth and time, but that's where char comes from. And then how charred you make that barrel is where you get different amounts of flavor. So tell me this, because I know when we were kind of going back and forth about, you know, what, what whiskey or what scotch, or which bourbon really can embody that and all of those elements for this episode and what we want to talk about. Um, you guys had come up with the Pendron Kelp, right? So where would you rank this guy on the scale of everything that you were just saying. When we were going back and forth in the text, I, I was the one that jumped on and said, let's do the kelp. Was the it re- just because you wanted to do the kelp? It's yeah. a fun it's, story. It's, it's, <laughs> it's because, it, because it's it's very tasty. The reason I thought this would be a, a really good one is because it is a very minor change that happened in this story versus what had been happening with the Pandaren whiskey. And I just thought that showing that subtle change and what a dramatic change 
change it makes to the whiskey itself would be a really good place to start just showing how much wood can really make a difference and i'll actually i'll let bobby tell the story because bobby's heard the story more times than i have and i'll mess it up i always add to it too so (laughs) if our friends from uh, penderin are listening mike i'm gonna i'm gonna add my own flair to this he'll be like that's not what happened (laughs) um so there are back up a little bit there are a lot of whiskeys that are getting their flavor just from the barrel to include that peatiness this kelt happens to be a a lightly peated whiskey now peat can come from is the grain itself dried out with peat and then you can get subtle notes of peat if the whiskey beforehand happened to be a peated whiskey and then you put your unpeated whiskey in there and then would that be like a second fill that would be well that let me tell the story and you'll see (laughs) i'll let it happen so Penderin's coming together. Penderin is coming together. So they're picking a barrel. They're 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 really getting started with with you know their processes and everything. And part of the process is you you find your your barrel salesman, your your person that delivers and you buy your barrels from. And Mike is um, the um, the global ambassador for them, and uh, he's a great guy. He's uh, been on the show before, and I think he's done a couple of things with the. Yeah, he did a live. Yeah. He did a live thing with us um, on Facebook. Just a really good dude. I met him at a tasting here in in, in Maryland. And I hope to visit him again. But he's a great storyteller. Really knows his whiskey. We like to put him on the spot all the time. So <laughs> anyway, so he told us this story. So essentially, they're there picking their barrels for their for their next you know whiskey that they're going to barrel, and uh, they 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 meet their guy and they say, okay, here's the barrel we want to get we want right here. And the guy looks at them, are you sure these are the barrels you want? And they're like, yeah, that's the barrel we want. That's the one. It's let me see what it says on it. Yep, there it is. It's a what is it Maker's? I think it was Maker's. Maker's Mark. It was a bourbon. Yeah, a Maker's Mark bourbon says it right there on the barrel. It's been Maker's. It'll be our first fill. Boom. Let's do it. So he's like, all right, these are yours. So he rolls the barrel. So they have a gentleman. I, I, his name escape, escapes me. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't remember uh, any people's uh, names or anything. A Scotch. A, uh, he actually is pretty famous in the world of, of, of whiskey, but um, I just can't think of his name right now. So he's helping them out. So he's coming down from Scotland, or rather, yeah, down from Scotland, and he's kind of helping them get on track with you know this distillery and beginning this process. So they take, they get this barrel, they fill it with their whiskey, they have it sitting. This guy comes down. He's like, all right, let's taste, see what you guys have. So he pops the cork or pops the bung on the barrel, you know, takes the thief, tastes some of the whiskey. He got it to his nose. He, this look comes over his face and he looks at everybody and he says, what have you done? This is, this is, this is ruined. What's going on here? So he's totally confused. Everybody's confused. Like what's happening? What did we ruin this whole batch? Pull the barrels down, roll them over so I can see the other side. So they roll the barrels on their side and they see maker's mark like they should. And then they see Lafroy. Right there. They were Maker's Mark, and then they were sold to Lefroy. Oh. Lefroy, highly peated, right? Yeah, very peated whiskey, right? yeah. So this is now a second fill okay. versus what they thought was a was going to be a first fill, right? He said, it's ruined. It's, there's nothing you can do. You've, you've ruined your whiskey. Because that's not what that's not what Penderin's about. We're, we're subtle, gentle whiskeys. We're not a peated, punch-you-in-the-face whiskey. Some conversation happened, some marketing, some, I'm sure, you know, financially, they were like, we don't want to dump all this out. You know, Guys, what you know what is. we just had? A great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, marketing team came in and says, nope, we're going to slap a name and a story behind it. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. And they they bottled it and they sold it and it won some awards. It got in some, you know, it, it just, it, it skyrocketed and people really, really enjoyed it. And here it is. We're drinking it right now. It's It's their only peated whiskey yeah, yeah. by accident such a cool story now they're producing it on purpose i'm, I'm sure it's they're mm-hmm. just not making the same accident over and over again we keep doing this <laughs> guys what happened how many Again. times can you make that mistake 
Um, I like to think that Mike's listening to this right now going, he didn't, Bobby, that's okay. Kind of happened like that's that. That's right. We'll have Mike on and he'll tell the story correctly, but that's the gist of it. And and, and that, the, at, at its core, that's, that's sort of why I wanted to do this one because it was just one little adjustment. It, it, it was, they were even using the same barrels that they wanted to use. It's just in between the bourbon and the Pandaren. There had been Lafroy in it. That was the only like a difference. Thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. Something and the interesting thing about this whiskey is we're getting we're getting notes um, from the previous filled whiskey. Mm-hmm. So it's the whiskey that made its way into the barrel and everything. There, there's also the nuance of the barrel itself. You know, you still have what makes a Scotch a great Scotch, and that's the subtle notes of the bourbon that was there beforehand. Mm. So that's not lost here either. I'm already drinking ahead, but um, <laughs> when you're when you're drinking a whiskey, if it's a bourbon, you know you're focusing on that too. But when you're drinking a second fill, third fill, you know whatever it may be, whiskey, think about where it came from. Think about what the barrel did for it, not mm-hmm. just what was in it before, which is great. The port, in this case, a peated whiskey, but the barrel itself, the wood itself, how it's acting and behaving. Maybe yeah. it's oaking it, like our like our buddy Dan likes to say, over oaking it. Um, he says that all the time, right? Or maybe it's the vanillas, maybe it's the sugars, maybe it's the caramelization, caramelized molasses, whatever it may be. However, you know, during that during maturation, that process, that breathing barrel, that that, that you know contracting barrel, um, is is sucking in and putting in so much flavor, and that's well, kind of the point. I'm really I'm really interested to get into this one because, like what I said in our season two kickoff, you know, I really like bold flavors. I like things kind of in extreme flavor profiles. And if this one is PD by accident, when normally we're looking for like the subtlety mm. of the wood in the barrel, uh, I just, I just want to see how this one plays out. Do so, it. Doing <laughs> it. So me personally on the nose, knowing that I'm getting something peated or mm-hmm. slightly peated, it doesn't hit me on the nose yeah. at first. It's like, okay, maybe something in there, you know? And then I get I like a, a peach cobbler. Yeah. Is that okay. Weird? Yeah. No. I, I like that. I was gonna say like if you charred an orange. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that citrus kind of, but that's kind of the same baked thing, in. right? Yeah. yeah. Baked orange or baked fruit. Oh, that's what I get now. Cobbler. Yeah. I, well, I, I, just I was want thinking cobbler. some sort, some sort of like a, like a fruity pie, whether that's apple or but yeah, like a cobbler, mm-hmm. some something with a crumbly top. Right. <laughs> I'd like the crumbly top whiskey, please. That's right. Is that a normal way to order? Let's change our show. Let's talk about (laughs) crumbly pies and (laughs) welcome to pie chasers. Mm. I'm in. So as expected, it's beautiful. It's subtle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's mild, but that's so Pindaren is a, is designed to be a floral, subtle, really nice balanced whiskey. That's kind of their thing. Mm -hmm. They're not looking to be scotch. They're not looking to be bourbon. They're, they want to be Welsh whiskey. And I think they've kind of taken that. I, I, they are unique. So I like that. But then that cousin, that Scotch Pete cousin kind of starts, you know, play, like he, like he's showing <laughs> up. They show just up to, to the family I mean? reunion right. and they ruin right. everything. Yeah. And to your point, I'm uh, all of the, all of the notes I'm getting in, whether, whether they're the nose or whether they're on the palate or on the finish, it's, it's almost like every single note is like this thing, but a little charred or this thing, but a, yeah. but a little grilled, but a little smoky, mm-hmm. but a little that something that I get on this, on the palate, it's green, whatever it is, Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. whether that's like a, ma- it's almost not quite as punchy in the face as this, but almost like a green onion, I almost want to say. Mm-hmm. And it's just like re- real, real subtle, green, earthy-ish. Clean. Yeah, clean, but, yeah. but not like, not like a, not, not like a mint though. Like, like something with a little more I'm gonna, bite to I'm it. I'm going to bring this back to 
wine flavors that I'm familiar with, mm -hmm. right? Because I know that in certain white wines, you see the honeysuckle mm -hmm. as a flavor that's referenced a lot. And I almost get, it, it's not the florally part of that, but it's the stem. It's yes. that greenness. Yes, it's a stem, a stem <laughs> of then, some sort. And then on the chart side, like Aaron, I love what you said just then, because on that side of it, I definitely get that light charcoal mm -hmm. charred finish. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of, if you're really like cooking a ribeye or maybe like a good cut of steak that purposefully has that fat line to it, right? And the best way to cook it is just to sear it and get it crisped up like that, right? So that way when you bite into it, you get the juiciness of whatever that cut of meat is. But then there's just that exterior crust or crumbliness if we're keeping in pie terms <laughs> that just captures like just the flame kiss nature of it. Yeah. That's That's incredible. It's almost like these are ingredients that you would not, like I imagine it when it first happened, like I know it was an accident, but you can taste like these chef accidentally cooked two things together and then it turned out to be, you know, mm -hmm. like the first guy that said sweet and sour would work. Everybody was like, buddy, no, listen, guy, we've been doing it the same way. It's exactly like, how they said you it know what I mean? in like ancient Yeah, it was like 250,000 years ago. Listen, <laughs> bud, kid, guy. hey. Chief. Chief, listen, pal, I know we're going to get our heads cut off for saying this, but uh, you, can't, you can't do that. And then it worked though, you know what I mean? And that's exactly, it's sweet and sour is kind of what's happening here. It's got a very, and then that smoke just shows up and it just rocks it. This is a, it might be my favorite from the, that, the dragon line, I think. I 100% say, yeah. say it's my favorite. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. It's, to, it's to the point where we said we were we were uh, going to be tasting this at this recording, and I was like, do we need to buy a bottle? Do I, I need to buy a bottle? And Bobby's like, I think I have a bottle. I was like, dude, uh, but I should probably I, buy a bottle I, I just still. in case, right? What yeah. if we just go through it? Yeah. I don't think it mattered what this episode was about. <laughs> you were going to pick this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I need the Kelt <laughs> was in bold font in that text exchange. What, what are we doing, Larceny? So I'll, I'll pick up a bottle Yeah, of so Kelt, kelt makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So here's here's my question, right? Because it sounds like to me, the Pandaren Kelt is something that has just that specific like multi-layer character of the barrels that were used. And I, it just makes me curious how common it is to see whiskey or scotch or even bourbon distilleries that have those different layers that people actively seek out versus how many people are of the philosophy of saying, you know what, we want to keep it clean. We want to be very specific. We don't want to have all of that complexity because we want to be more on the side of subtlety. Like what's the pervading mindset in the industry about that? Brooke Laddie is probably a great example of that. So when Jim McEwen came aboard, he wanted to do things new and different and stand out. He wanted to, he made a, an Isla that wasn't peated, which is that, it was unheard of. At that unheard point. of, right? Is it chemically possible? It's just not. They're like, how, what the heck and why are you? That's, you know, it goes against the grain. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> oh, what I did. Oh, there it is. You're welcome. <laughs> we got um, way more dad jokes this season. That's happened. That's happened. We've grown. We've grown. Um, We're so, older. Yeah. And this is American too. You have a mix of purists that say this, you know, God, in America, whiskey you have, if it's not in Kentucky, it's not bourbon, which isn't true hot take we just lost i don't know a thousand listeners oh. a million um, you know what i mean Our numbers are pretty big huge yeah huge we you know so there so there there's this balance between there's this balance between purists and people that want to do something different and new i lean on both sides i like a subtle when i when i get a scotch you know sometimes i want it to be a scotch but then sometimes I want something really cool and bold and different that stands out. I love a rum cast finish whiskey. Mm. Well, the mm. first time that happened, I'm sure, well, that was probably way back when it started, right? Because rum was 
plentiful, but that that had to be amazing, but different. So I like the nuances and differences, and I hope they keep trying new. I mean, Japanese whiskey—they're trying all kinds of wild stuff. Yeah. So and we're getting cool things because of it. But there's also you—you you don't want to get away from it either. You want it to mm. be whiskey, and you don't want to get into a world of I don't want to pick on anybody. I don't know off the top of my head something cinnamon. I don't want, you know, you don't, you want to be very careful with getting too hmm. far off the beaten path of where it's not even whiskey anymore. It's, right. it's now some Because you're using barrels that just have been storing cinnamon sticks for right. centuries. Or you Tabasco know. sauce. Dickle. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but uh, yeah, they're having fun. So I, 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 I think playing around with barrels and experiencing new things and trying out different ways to different types of wood and stuff is cool. But I also think using first fill American mm-hmm. oak and keeping it simple. I think that's also cool. So if you're a cooper, right? Like if this is your life to know wood, staves, barrel, distillery preferences that you're working with, are you basically just a mad scientist? Are you just, are you just. I, I mean, a lot of the time. Like? Yeah. I mean, most, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most of the time the, you know, the co- the cooper is working for a distillery mm-hmm. for, you know, whatever, whatever that time is. So, you know, if you're, if you're building, barrels for bourbon it's all new oak and that's what you're doing but the cooper it's every part of the barrel making process is what what the coopers are doing they're they're forming the wood into the staves they're they're putting the barrel together they're they're fashioning the bands that are going around the barrel it's every single part of that and that's always sort of blown my mind because it's so many different things that they're doing like like this should be a job like like ju- just picking the wood for this should be a job just fashioning staves should be a job and yeah when you're learning to be a cooper maybe you're starting on one thing but then you're learning all of it so your master coopers they can do a barrel from beginning to end like just from here's raw wood and metal mm-hmm. to here's a barrel and they can build that in less than a day a barrel from start to finish and then, then hand picking those staves through that process, you know, and you're working with the distiller, like Aaron said, but you're you're looking at staves or mixing them and saying, you know, talk about new age stuff. There are there are distilleries out there and and coopers that are taking staves from different types of barrels that have housed different liquids, mm-hmm. and they're putting those together like a Frankenstein and creating something cool from that. And a that, super mutt, you know, exactly. Yeah. And you're not seeing a lot of that, but it's happening out there. So. The Cooper's job is not just to slap a barrel. They're not, they don't make boxes, you know, that right. four yeah, sizes yeah. up uh, and then go and here, your box is done. You know, they're actually putting effort and, and time into crafting this vessel that's going to hold, I don't know if I want to say it, but the most glorious thing on the planet. No, I mean, you're right. You're whiskey. 100% right on that. Yeah. And that's the thing. So if you're, if you're a Cooper and you're working for a, um, if you're working making barrels or selecting barrels or whatever for a scotch distillery, that's a very different job than just building a brand new barrel, you know? But you still have all the know-how from all of that. It's just it's just mind blowing to me. It's one of to me it's one of the most interesting jobs in and around the Un- industry. Unsung heroes. Yeah. Boy, I would I'd love to get one on the show. Oh, man, I wish we, we can you imagine if we just could find one. If we only had the way. If there's a will, there is a way. <laughs> now, if we can understand them, that's going to be <laughs> the, the best ones. Come can from podcasts have subtitles? <laughs> Spoiler alert, guys. We may have found a Cooper to talk to. The only one. There's one. There's one Cooper. There can be only one. (laughs) There is only one of them. He's the only one that would answer our call. Thinking about the artistry and the science, right, as we're talking about 
of somebody who has the knowledge and the access to combine different types of wood into those barrels, into different, more playful profiles, I guess, uh, depending on the distillery. I have to wonder if that's something that's newer to whiskey, just because we have greater access to different types of wood from different countries or different uh, first fill instances versus thinking back 200, 300, 400 years where whiskey making was so isolated into just what was available in the community. So with your Scotch whiskeys and Irish whiskeys, first fill, second fill, using a used barrel was necessity. So it just what it's what you had. American whiskeys are I think that's the better answer to that because they have traditionally always used new oak. Um, and then you get into the legality of it again. But in the 80s, I mean, you have Woodford Reserve really, I guess you could argue, pioneering first fill whiskeys, you know, util- utilizing um, a, a used cask. And now today you actually see a plethora of of bourbon whiskey which i think that's the uh, that's the oddity is to see american whiskeys using secondary uh, angels envy just created their wine finish we have local distilleries friends of ours painted stave utilizing beer previously beer filled maybe previously wine filled you know from a local winery um port rum um so you're seeing bourbon taking that route which is what american whiskey is taking that route which is in itself odd and new and kind of cool. Um, Scotch whiskey has always done it because they've, again, they've had to use it. But then you see them doing interesting things using crazy grains, you know, yeast, wild yeast. But then they're taking barrels and partnering with Japan and using uh, Japanese oak or maybe they're using a European oak if it's a sherry or something. So they're always experimenting. But it, it went from being necessity to use to, man, there's a lot of ingredient here. And now we're seeing this freedom to kind of use and, 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 and pull whatever they can to kind of keep us engaged. So 80% of the taste of your whiskey is from the barrel. 80% that high. 80% comes from the barrel somehow, whether that's your new oak, whether that's your first fill barrels, second fill barrels, any of that stuff. 80% of the flavor comes from the wood right now is I think probably the most exciting time in whiskey history, but you've got all of these distilleries doing all sorts of fun things with, like you said, wild yeast, this thing, that thing, but just the stuff that's going on with wood. Uh, Bobby alluded to um, Cooper's taking, you know, different staves from different barrels and making a brand new barrel out of that. That's relatively new, that, that kind of combined cooperage. You have some that are tossing additional staves into a barrel of something else to get flavor from from something different. And now, uh, in the United States, you're seeing new types of whiskey that they're saying, you know what, we're in the United States, yeah, we're not making bourbon anymore. Some of these don't even have an actual definition anymore. The, 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 the American single malt is one of my new sort of favorite things, and there's no regulation to that yet, aside from it just being a single malt grains and everything yeah, yeah what mm-hmm. barrel you put it right. in they, they, they don't have any rules for that yet so that's where you're seeing a whole lot of exciting stuff right now I'd, I'd say probably within the past maybe 30 years is when you've really started seeing a whole lot of experimentation hmm. but now you can you don't have that necessity need anymore now it's just let's play with it you and know? There, there's products today that are just literally some uh, a piece of charred wood a piece of charred oak 
that you're supposed to throw in your whiskey bottle and it mellows the flavor or it makes like it throw, smoother. Just, just outside of the barrel, just dunk it in there. You just put it into your, your whiskey. It's like, like a little stick. Some of them are like fun shapes or whatever. You just drop it in your whiskey. <laughs> swizzle stick. Yeah, you, you drop your wooden charred swizzle stick into your whiskey. You let it sit there for a week and it's supposed it's to... It's not something I no, we do. No, we don't but. do it. But ju- just coming back to the idea of what an impact wood mm-hmm. has and what an impact wood can have it can totally totally alter and change in ha- for the better or worse really it'd be ridiculous for us not to do a three-part series on wood why have we not done it th- until oh, there's so much more to talk about a yeah. great director that's to, right uh, plant the seed of the Where idea we find one of those no this is this is seriously making me super excited for when we do have our cooper on in our third episode of this series. I know the next one we're going to have, the next episode is going to be unpacking this a little bit more and taking more of a look on the American bourbons, the fresher oak, something that's a little less characterized by those layers we were talking about, like with the Pandaren Kelt, but something that just has that snappiness to it because it is that fresh. So I'm, I'm excited to get into that and then get some experts on the line with us. All right, so we covered a lot of ground in this episode and treated ourselves to an award-winning whiskey that came about by chance, the Pandaren Kelp. Join us on our next episode where we keep unpacking the barrel-making process and get ready to chat with an expert cooper who will definitely be getting a thank-a-cooper card from us in the future. Until then, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram, it's all in the chase.